Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Demonic Consultation, Lion's Eye Diamond, Clown Card, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their CDH and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Therabian University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Eminence Gaming. Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, losing to The Initiative. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for this week, available in our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access. I'm Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. Thraben U, joined by... I am Brian Koval, a.k.a. Bosch and Roll. And Brian Cook of theepistorm.com. Before we get rolling here, let me shout out our new patrons since the last episode. We've got Felipe, Cadzoodle, I hope that's an internet name. Uh, or else I'm mad at your parents, Kadzoodle, Ian, Han, and Derek. Shout out to all of you. Those people will hear Bryant's cast cancelable drink takes. Uh, we we got pretty mad at each other uh, for about five minutes. Our Patreon pre-show ran long earlier tonight because uh, Bryant said some outrageous stuff that needed to be addressed. I'm surprised you didn't go with Thick Booty Judge Judy personally. Oh my gosh, Thick Booty Judge Judy, never forget. <laughs> yeah, she was there too. <laughs> uh, a number of things were discussed. Uh, it, it is just $5 a month and you can hear all our insane ramblings about that. Also, big thank you to everyone that subscribed to our YouTube channel. We hit monetization. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That said, go subscribe if you haven't already. Help us grow. It would mean a lot. Thanks. With that, we're going to go ahead and delve or maybe dive, because it's not so much delve anymore, into some legacy content. So, for the first time in many years, the number one spot on MTG Goldfish is no longer a Delver deck. The Initiative deck has taken the number one spot in terms of metagame shares. Data seems to be pointing towards the Initiative being very good, including, I believe, five of the top eight from a legacy challenge this weekend being initiative including first second third and fourth place if memory serves disgusting phil that's crazy stuff absolutely so we're going to be talking about the initiative this episode kind of thinking about whether or not it is too strong kind of how things have been going where if any bands are necessary, where those might be hitting, that sort of stuff. And if we have a little bit of time towards the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about MagicCon Philly and maybe a little bit of EDH and CEDH stuff. So buckle up. Yeah, so you mentioned the Legacy Challenge being you know, the top five slots were all white initiative. That's cool. It also won the Legacy PTQ which those results were coming in live during our last episode. We were, we were shouting them out as they came in. It's reliably taking three or more slots in every top eight that's coming up. I did a, a quick look through recent events on Goldfish and uh, yep, just at least three slots to white initiative in every top eight. And that's kind of where we are in representation. I'll float out the usual caveat that Goldfish only scrapes posted data. We don't know about unposted data. It's incomplete because Watsi intentionally doesn't give us everything, et cetera, et cetera. It is jarring to log into that Goldfish metagame breakdown page and see is a Delver not at the top. Feels good. Yeah, I mean, it is cool. I am not upset about that. Uh, I think it is very cool that something took the crown. That was almost an on-point joke, but uh, the crown is Monarch, which is inspired initiative. There's something there. Something, Someone funnier than me connect the dots. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on that in post. <laughs> we won't. But anyway, we want to kind of poke through what's going on with the initiative and... I want to start with Gavin Verhey's interview on Dark Depths Pod. Gavin popping into a legacy podcast has been an annual tradition for six or seven years over on Leaving a Legacy. They retired this year. Rest in peace. We like those guys. Dark Depths Pod swept in and was like, Gavin, you want to do your annual legacy thing with us instead? And I'm glad someone did. And the interview is really good. Go listen to it. Of course, the question of the initiative came up. This was recorded at the end of December. So we're a couple weeks old at this point. And already it was kind of generally when Gavin is asked about bands and formats, he's very much like, 
oh, I don't know about that or uh, anything I know I can't really share or, you know, uh, politically wishy-washy about it because he has to be for his job. He was very much, yeah, maybe three was too cheap on this effect. And seasoned Dungeoneer should have had three toughness, not four. Not dying to bolt is such a mistake. Like he basically said those two things very clearly. And he didn't say anything's going to get banned. He actually made it very clear that he's not really involved in legacy ban discussions. There's a different group for that. He said nothing's going to be done until at least the end of the calendar year. And then we'll see if we need to take action. Where were his words? It's a new year. It's a couple weeks. And, uh, what do we think about that? First, I'd like to shout out Michael and Billy. They are terrific players. Great podcast. Uh, happy to see Gavin go on their show. Uh, I was basically going to say the same thing. Like, this is a fantastic episode of Magic Content. It is very much worth your time. You know, no no, no paid ad here. Go go listen to that episode. It is, it is worth it. Yep. Friends of the show putting out good stuff uh, with people who I like hearing talk. I always like hearing Gavin talk about Magic. So easy listen. I was surprised when it was over. I was like, wait, I want another hour of this. So now kind of going back to the point, like where 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 are we standing now? How have things shifted back in maybe third week of December or so? Uh, Joe Dyer of MTG Goldfish was kind of poking around asking a whole bunch of people, hey, what do you think about legacy right now? And in December, my answer was like, I, I'm loving this. I'm loving the brewing. I'm loving the, the breath of fresh air. And I would I would like to wait until more cards reach magic online before we go and make any decisions now that i've had a few more weeks of this while i'm still having fun and i'm still enjoying this format a ton i'm starting to feel like white plume adventurer very specifically costing three is is kind of a problem and i'm seeing a lot of deck specialists go away from their core deck which is often a sign that things have taken a a step in the wrong direction. We've been seeing crazy things being speculated about online, like control decks with Lotus Petal to just go faster and keep up with initiative. Legacy's in a weird spot. There's a couple of points I'd like to address there. So lo- the Lotus Petal thing, that was inspired by a tweet that I don't know if it was in good faith or not, but uh, it was the most played card in one of the challenges. But traditionally, whenever Delver is too powerful, no one's ever pointed at Ponder and gone like, oh, maybe this card is the one that's too good. It's usually something else, and that is just a card that is played in a wider variety of decks. I don't think that Lotus Petal is actually the issue. I just wanted to uh, get that out there. Yeah, I'd like to jump on Bryant's point there and just say that obviously Lotus Petal is a problematic card. That card is fucked up, but it's one of those things that makes Legacy Legacy. Like Modern doesn't have a Lotus Petal. It's restricted in vintage. You get to play four Lotus Petals and do cool things with it. If we like, and there is the contingent that's always like ban brainstorm and fetch lands and legacy immediately gets healthier. Healthy is objective. I was in a conversation with Patrick Sullivan on Twitter a couple weeks ago where basically he said legacy gameplay is objectively rancid, his words, and it's nostalgia and uh, signing up for a certain experience that keeps it alive. And I mean, he's right. Uh, a game designer looking at legacy and like, is this something we want? Is this what we want the the main experience of our game to be? Would say no way. How do we just knock this down a thousand pegs? But legacy is luckily you get draft standard, pioneer, modern. You, you got to go a long way before you hit what we're up to. And yeah, legacy's busted or legacy's busted. Lotus petals busted. Banning lotus petal to slow down white plume adventure seems like a preposterous take. If anyone was actually making that point. So Phil mentioned two other things I'd like to uh, address here. So shout out to Joe Dyer and his team, the metagame collection people. Uh, some people on Twitter, mainly Jax that I saw because I follow Jax. Jax just has terrific combo deck ideas, and they shared that over the course of the last few events. 50% of the metagame has been either Blue Red Delver or Initiative. That is astronomical for Legacy. We've never really seen numbers like that before. Even in the unhealthiest metagames that I can think of, it's never been 50% of two docks. That said, when I'm playing leagues, it doesn't feel as unhealthy as the numbers show. It is a lot of mono white initiative in leagues, like a lot, but. It, it it doesn't feel as bad as some of the other oppressive metagames like Oko to me in Dreadhorde. Like, it doesn't feel that bad. That said, this is personal taste. Take it with a grain of salt, that sort of thing. 
The other thing I wanted to mention is it is a really good time in Legacy right now to be a brewer. We talked about that in the last episode. Everything's moving. People are adjusting. People are trying things like Stifle in their control decks right now. I just dropped green. I cut Veil of Summer from the Epic Storm. I'm playing Silence and Prismatic Ending. It's fun seeing everyone's everyone's changes and motions and what they're doing. And I think that's brought a little bit of life back into the format, which has been lacking for the last year, in my opinion. I had uh I had Pokemoki emerge from the dead sliding into my DMs earlier this week. He's been kind of cold on magic for a while. He was playing flesh and blood, just really doing other stuff, and popped into my DMs. He's like, basically, I love a solved metagame, and I think I can find something that beats the big two. We kicked a few ideas back and forth, and then later that night he posted a 5-0 with updated Pokepile with Stifle, Uro, just pure rug colors. He's got basic lands. He's got Ice Fang, Kawadal that could fly over, poke the initiative. We, we're bringing brewers out of retirement here. Uh, it's an exciting time to exploit something that is unhealthy. Yeah, at the same time, I haven't seen people leaving Legacy because of the initiative, but I have seen very prominent deck specialists just say, I tried to beat this deck and I couldn't. I cannot play my deck that I am known for right now. Um, I know the lands pilots in particular have gotten really frustrated and some of them have shifted to playing just white initiative in a like, I can't beat them. I'm going to join them move like ride, ride that out until something happens one way or another. Yep. I think all of the, the death and taxes players on the earth are just doing initiative stuff now. Yeah. What percent of the metagame do you think death and taxes is right now? I don't believe it's on the front page of goldfish anymore. It is not. (laughs) We, we are down to, I believe 2% of the metagame. And death and taxes for years has been hovering in like roughly the 7% ballpark. 1.1% of the meta. Yeah, it was just earlier this year that uh, David Lance was, you know, sliding over from Ohio, showing up at my local events. I made a lot of innovations in the Bant shell just because Yorian death and taxes was such a monster to have to grind through. It's it's gone. That that was that was earlier this year. Yorian Taxes, remember that? That was a huge part of the metagame. And now it's it's not. I I think I have some DNT tech that's actually good. I recorded a I shouldn't say the results, because uh, the video won't be live by the time this podcast airs. I recorded a very good league with Yorian DNT featuring Sarah Paragon, which is a three four that can wall like the Delvers and Dragon Rage channelers of the world while also bringing back the early bodies that you trade with like initiative creatures. That card felt very real to me. I don't know that DNT can just compete with the initiative. I think the answer is no, but I had a fantastic league in a way that I wasn't expecting, and I expected nothing from a card and saw actual potential. Yeah, Sarah Paragon has a lot of similar words on it to Luris, doesn't it? I don't know yeah. exactly what that card does, but... I know it casts cheap spells out of your graveyard. All right, so this is two colorless and two white for a 3-4 Flying Angel. Once during each one of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when it's put into the graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. So I had I had a bunch of incredibly grindy games that that card single-handedly dug me out of by like redeploying stoneforge mystics and thalias and whatnot like pulling a wasteland from your graveyard destroying a land and then gaining two life was a pretty big swing i think this is better than the season dungeoneer that some people are trying out in death and taxes because i played season dungeoneer and it rotted in my hand and was unplayable i don't know if you have the death and taxes skill set you should just be playing white initiative right now so like all of this is probably moot going back to the the point that set this all off i've seen a number of deck specialists and and just the deck agnostic folks uh, not just deck specialists but the people who always play the best thing uh, like andrea Mangucci won the ptq we mentioned him earlier he also i saw a tweet from him he was excitedly driving over an hour to get to a tuesday night legacy event just because he wanted to play white initiative in paper at least once that that is the behavior of someone who you know is tapped into underworld breach or whatever they they have the tech they know they have the tech and they want to they want to feel something while they still can so something that's been brought up a handful of times on twitter and other places recently is the comparison of white plume adventurer to oko so oko brought a special sort of hell to legacy 
where many like macro archetypes were just completely invalidated by its power and what was and wasn't playable resolved around Oko. And to a lesser extent, the supporting cast like Arkham's Astrolabe and Uro as well. White Plume Adventurer is another three mana card that warps the texture of the game around itself, even if it ends up being removed immediately. And if you don't remove that card immediately, you die in about three turns. Right. So the the Oko comparison, obviously these are very different cards if you read them, but Oko arrives and either elks your opponent's best thing or creates a 3-3 immediately. And if Oko's answered on the spot with an Abrupt Decay or Skyclave Apparition, whatever people were doing at the time, then that elk or that residual removed permanent is going to continue to affect the game afterwards. And if you don't remove Oko immediately, it will elk another thing and either snowball advantage or slowly remove anything that you had going on. And White Plume Adventurers feels the same in that regard. Uh, even if you have the bolt right away, now you have to take the initiative somewhere. If they have just another initiative creature, they're right back in business. It's It feels very similar. Bryant mentioned Dreadhorde Arcanist in passing earlier in this episode. That's a card that I've deleted from my memory completely. If you if you asked me to list all of the cards that have been banned in the last three years in Legacy, I would probably just miss that one because it's so painful for me to think about. God, I hated that card. It feels the same. Obviously, two mana is less than three, but if we're in a world of castable off Ancient Tomb and Chrome Mox, how different is that particular two mana from this particular three mana? And Oko was a three drop, like all day, every day. A genuine, honest, blue, green, one People paid three mana for that. There was not a way to cheat it into play or accelerate it meaningfully, which also changes the texture a little bit. I, I just saw a tweet that was like, it was the, they're the same picture meme from the office and it was Oko and White Plume Adventure. And I was like, this wasn't on my radar, but now it is. And I can't really shake it. I'd like to share an, an maybe an unpopular opinion here, but traditionally when things get banned in Legacy, it is because they slot too well into a blue deck or they are so degenerately broken that a combo deck becomes too good. And I feel like it's tough for a combo deck to become too good in Legacy just because of all of the checks in the format that it has to get through. Like, Breach was an exception. Like, better Yawgmoth's Will that you were allowed to play four of? Okay, sure. But it's been so long since a combo card has been banned. Like, I think the last one was, like, in Tomb. It's been a long time. Uh, Mystical Tutor. Okay, there we go. Mystical Tutor. Yeah, I mean, over a decade. And we're talking about initiative right, card right now. Like, a uh, a mechanic that is just an aggressive mechanic. Like, it wants to put creatures onto the battlefield and then attack you by, like, and get, like, incremental advantage. I understand that it, like, puts two one-on-one counters. You get to draw a card. You can scry, whatever path you choose to take but inherently it's an aggressive mechanic and i think that's like kind of interesting because you don't see aggressive creature cards get banned too often like the one that comes to my mind is like early modern with like wild nacatl like it's just not something you see and i think that's kind of interesting a card that has since been unbanned by the way and d barely affects the format so those sort of bans historically have not held up well yeah the the point you're making which is like it's a creature it encourages combat don't we want that sort of thing? That is a tough one because that's not the type of profile of a card that normally gets banned. I know when we were deep into the Oko ban conversations, the thing that kept sticking in my mind, which there's a lot of nuance to this that I'm not going to rehash, go listen to our old episodes if you want it. But my argument was it's a three mana blue card that doesn't actually win the game on the spot. How are we banning that in a format where show and tell is legal? which is a three-mana blue card that does win the game on the spot. All of the factors that led to the Oko ban, which I do agree with, by the way, <laughs> I think Show and Tell is fine for the format, and Oko probably isn't. That is a an opinion I, I am now all the way in on. Oko being banned because of the way that it affected the format, even though the way it affected the format was ultimately very fair, but the card still needed to go. I, I think that is the card on the ban list that closely resembles White Plume Adventure and what it does to games. Going back for just a minute, I don't think the initiative actually incentivizes good combat anymore. I thought that at first, but like the more I play with it, the more you're trying to give the combat step like the middle finger and like technically you're doing the combat step, but you're trying to avoid it as much as possible, right? You're trying to accelerate out this effective 5-5 five, five creature 
before your opponent can have anything that reasonably rumbles with it. You're trying to use Source of Plowshares, Solitude, Touch the Spirit Realm to maintain it. You're trying to completely invalidate blockers with Seasoned Dungeoneer. They're like, hey, you can't block me taking the initiative back. You're, like, your White Plume Adventurer itself is a 5-5 that gets to attack, and it has pseudo-vigilance because it gets to untap itself. In in theory, you are doing you are doing combat, but you're really trying to like skirt the technical definition of combat and let your opponent have combat as little as possible. Help me out here, because I'm not deep on this deck. I, I just know it exists. I played versions of it, but in the early days, I heard people saying things like, treat it like accumulated knowledge and don't cast the first one in the mirror are there weird unintuitive play patterns to the the white mirror or is it just jam initiative early often get it in i have played a lot of pseudo mirrors i haven't played that many true mirrors where we were both on like a similar version of the deck at the same time my understanding is that a lot of times you're you're jamming early because you want to ride the advantage before the pro white creatures show up and fuck up everything. You have Empty Shrine Kanushi if people are playing that, which is a one drop effective protection from white creature. And Archon of, I think it's Absolution, uh, can come down. That's a pro-white flyer that also has a ghostly prison sort of effect attached to it. And a lot of times I, I want to be taking up my initiative quickly. If I lead on Athalia and then my opponent plays a white plume, like I, I feel like the person who has the initiative creature is just like very clearly favored, right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. There are some lines where you might not want to play your initiative creature out first, if you can hypothetically play an anointed peacekeeper on turn one, stop your opponent from casting their relevant card and then follow it up with a turn two season dungeoneer or something. And there's sometimes where like you have limited mana resources, so you might be better off playing a three drop on turn one into your four drop season dungeoneer on turn two so that you can do both. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that was just a thing I heard. I heard it probably two weeks ago, so I don't know if technology has changed. I don't know if that was even true at the time. It was just a thing I've heard. We mentioned earlier tonight hearing rumblings about people bringing in Mind Break Trap on the draw in the mirror to get that first initiative creature out of there, which is a play that I've made in Vintage against Workshop decks. Like Sometimes I bring in Trap on the draw against Workshops to, to stop their first sphere from hitting the board. If we are adopting toxic vintage play patterns in legacy to break a mono white mirror that sounds like a, a concerning place to be it seems to me like mind break trap is not at all playable in the mirror it's a very niche hand that a mind break trap stops because like soul land one mana rock of your choice white plume adventurer is the ideal thing that you're looking to beat and that's two spells like a mind break trap doesn't stop that so it ends up being like soul land petal chrome mox season dungeoneer and that requires land, season dungeoneer, a lotus petal, either another lotus petal or a chrome box and a white card to go under it. Like that is that is a lot of things to stop one card. I Yeah, it, it stops one particular play pattern. Like if there's no soul land, if it's planes rock rock, mindbreak trap hits that. And I guess that's the point that's being made. It's not that this is good or you're happy about it. It's that is this mirror so toxic that we're doing literally fucking anything to <laughs> to stay above water in it uh that's that's the question being asked like i i don't even know if that's a real thing or if just somebody said it or or what but it sounds bad to me and it was usually bad on the draw against shops and vintage too i'm just throwing that out there you had to do it because the vintage comparison which i have much more experience with is sometimes the thing happens that you just said where they go mishra's workshop sphere and your mind break trap is never castable but if they go wasteland mox 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 lotus or lodestone golem, then you're a genius, and it's just this crapshoot of idiot or genius. Is this card going to win me the game or lose me the game based on this turn one play pattern on the draw, which is not fun to play? Let me tell you. Uh, something I see come up a lot on Twitter, especially from maybe what I'd call slightly more casual players is like do we need to errata this mechanic is the initiative an okay mechanic is the initiative a toxic mechanic is this too much for legacy is it just too much 
on white plume adventure because it costs three mana specifically uh what are what are people thinking about these sorts of questions and comments i think that an errata to fix the mechanic is a mistake uh i always prefer a ban to an errata uh, i i'm very confident i think that's the least nuanced that any of this conversation is going to get i think erratas are bad and i think that bans are good counter argument companion also i i don't have any real stake in this argument i'm just saying companion is a recent example of an errata so i think the difference is that companion was so rotten to its core in its execution that there was no fixing it it was you know ban the ford to six playable ones in the formats where they were playable and nobody ever sees those cards again and then let that trickle down like Luris ended up banned in every format it was legal uh, i think you can still play it in pioneer right can you that might be true i don't know <laughs> but it's just you know banned in every format where it's legal and playable and taking a dramatic thing to fix a rotten mechanic that this is the that's the first time they've done that ever right like they messed around with some power level errata on cards like time vault early on in magic's history uh lion's eye diamond has received power level errata uh, there's a couple different things like that but a whole mechanic being rewritten has never occurred before to my knowledge just um for some clarification Luris is not legal in pioneer it was banned march of 2022 Cool. So it, it was banned earlier, like in the past year. You could do that for a long time. Uh, Luris is, is banned in all formats or was banned. It's back in vintage now. That's the last bastion for it. Unbanned but it was Legacy. banned for a while there. <laughs> yeah, sure. Different episode. I'm sorry. The difference is that Companion was rotten as a mechanic on arrival. I don't believe the initiative is rotten as a mechanic. I think it's a cool mechanic. I think putting it on a three drop that costs a single pip of its color to cast in a format with Chrome Mox and Mox Diamond legal and Lotus Petal is probably a line that's a little too far on it. But I think the initiative on four drops or harder to cast creatures, however they come, is pretty interesting. Do you think that the initiative will still be a deck without White Plume Adventure? Like, are these Boros versions with Mox Diamond enough to carry the archetype or does it just flat out kill the deck? I think let's... Let's let Phil finish what he was going to say, because I think that's a second conversation and we'll get into that one next. But it's a good question. In the context of EDH specifically, the initiative is really cool. Like it is another thing like Monarch that you get to fight over, that you get to make this sub game over. I would never want to errata the initiative for the sake of legacy and take something away from the experience of another format where that mechanic is functioning like perfectly fine. I have a Preston the Vanisher EDH deck that runs two of the initiative cards as well as Radiant Solar to kind of power through um, the Undercity. I've considered playing the initiative cards in my Winota EDH, CEDH deck, although I haven't pulled the trigger on them there yet. I, uh, I very much like the mechanic. I think it is well-designed mechanic that maybe within our own context of legacy, there might be some problems with it. Right. And part of that is that the mechanic was developed and balanced for multiplayer, where triggering in your upkeep is one quarter of the turns that happen, rather than one half of the turns that happen in a 1v1 game. Because in 1v1, it's, I'm in the Undercity, you have one shot, good luck. And then you can spew off solitudes and sorts of plowshares and touch the spirit realms to stop that one person from doing it in a four-player game you have to defend that for three turns worth of interaction and you can only pitch so many solitudes against multiple players i mean you literally only get one but going one for one or one for two against players to try to protect your undercity is just not feasible when you have three opponents so now let's go back to the the white plume adventurer question uh the crux of which was like is there still an initiative deck without White Plume Adventurer? And the answer is a resounding yes, and probably multiple different initiative decks. Right now, like, the Mono White deck is probably the consensus best version of the initiative deck, with the Red White deck also having a good number of tournament finishes, and some of the other things like Mono Blue combo initiative deck, the White Black, like, scam initiative like ephemerate malachar rebirth deck there's other things floating around the edges and if you take away white plume adventurer all it means is that like the things that are fringe right now that people are experimenting with 
become things that get real focus. And if we bring more of the initiative cards to Magic Online and Ravenloft Adventurer, one of the mono black ones, gets to Magic Online, for example, you can play an initiative deck with 12 mono black initiative creatures. Now, are those cards as good as Seasoned Dungeoneer or White Plume Adventurer? No, not really. But if you can play 12 of them and like Ancient Tomb and Dark Ritual those things out, that probably produces a very consistent deck. Yeah, Black Stompy is already a thing that exists, but all of that requires an extra step. Like the all of the the versions of Red White Initiative or Four Drop Initiative or Black Dark Ritual Initiative, this is circles back in a weird way to Mindbreak Trap because if you want a four or five drop initiative creature on turn one, you're gonna get Mindbreak Trapped or Mindbreak Trap is on. There is no lotus petal soul land bang second spell is the initiative creature that which if it re if it plays into mind break trap it means it requires another step which means inconsistency in opening hand strength and exposure to force of will if your ritual ritual initiative creature force three for two occurs rather than two for two when you force a white plume adventurer and White Plume Adventure, the opponent's more likely to follow up with another one on the next turn because they just curve up naturally, where Dark Ritual is a one and done. It's it's a very different calculation to get to four and then to five over three in Legacy. I'd also like to point out that there's the natural friction that happens a lot, and I'm sure both of you already know this, but I'm going to say it for our audience. When you're running Dark Ritual in a deck that is somewhat interested in something like Chalice of the Void or other prison effects like Trinosphere, yeah, you can Dark Ritual Trinosphere, but now you're stuck with a basic swamp in play. Do you have an Ancient Tomb to go along? And if it's Chalice of the Void, you just shut off more cards in your deck. There is this weird tension that exists where the current build of the deck doesn't have that. Yeah, the right. current build doesn't even want Chalice of the Void all the time. Only about half the builds right now are even bothering to play Chalice in the main deck, which over the last few years was kind of one of the primary things that made a Stompy deck a Stompy deck was Chalice. And right now it's just like, haha, initiative goes brrrr. Yeah, I I just had repressed memories flood back into my head when Bryant was talking. The the Reeple Cheap curse deck. Reeple Cheap was out there farming with putting up five bows and stuff. I tried it once and I ran into exactly the thing Bryant was describing. The dark ritual into Chalice of the Void on one deck building is such a crapshoot. <laughs> I'm thoroughly not interested in that happening. So I guess there's a silver lining to initiative and legacy, right? Up until this point, we were kind of low. I, I, I'm going to speak for all three of us here. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but all three of us were a little bit low on the format. Like we still love legacy, but expressive iteration, Merc Tide, they were draining. They were a weight on the format. And now people are not talking about Delver, which is exciting. And it seems like people have forgotten um, I'm going to ask a question. If something does happen to the initiative, would you like to see anything else happen? Are you fine with going back to where we were? Or do you think that even a weekend initiative deck is enough to balance out the format? No, please take something from Delver. Please, I, I beg you. I have spent so long losing to various combinations of expressive iteration and Merktide Regent, oftentimes looped by Mystic Sanctuary. If we're going to lower the power level of the top of Legacy, White Plume Adventure and probably Expressive Iteration should probably just go at the same time and give some breathing room to other decks in the format. Yeah, I agree with that assessment for that reason. And in addition to taking Delver down a peg, the homogeneity, homogenization, homogenization, I think that's the correct we got version there. of that. Homogenization of card advantage, sweets, like... Triumph of St. Traft, or St. Traft, lol, St. Catherine is a card that exists. I would like to cast Predict to trigger that on my opponent's turn, but hard to find deck space for Predict when Expressive Iteration is just a card that's in, in the format. I worked on Standstill for a very long time. I think my list is really tight. How can you justify a hyper-conditional draw three when you could just pay two mana to draw the best two of those same three cards with no conditions at all? It's it just is messing up so many things. The control decks all top out at Mystic Sanctuary EI now. The four color decks, the Jeskai, the, you know, whatever you are. Esper control, bug, those sort of things are just not on the menu because EI exists. I, I think that it is suppressing build space while also supercharging 
a deck that did, does not need a supercharge. So, Brian, I've got a question for you. This is something I was kind of talking about in an article that I wrote today for my Patreon. If Triumph of St. Catherine were released to MTGO, would that actually change anything for control decks? Because I was thinking about it and like, it's a creature that is just going to eat it to all of the white exile based removal and then it doesn't do its thing of coming back. And the time that it takes to set that up properly seems really scary to me in this initiative fueled world where everything is like so condensed into the early turns of the game. Yeah, I don't think that Triumph of St. Catherine is a card that would flip the initiative matchup in any kind of way for blue decks. I think it helps against other stompy decks like red stompy. Uh, they're not getting through a two mana five five lifelink. Just light it up. Fury doesn't touch it. If it comes out in combat, eats the rabble master. Easy game. Disrespects opposition agent and whatever from the black stompy decks. Uh, it's it helps clock against eight cast. Like it's really good in all of those spaces because those decks play by normal magic rules ultimately they're accelerating out messed up stuff but they don't get this emblem this untouchable emblem that wins them the game over time if you don't do more than just stop them i don't think it helps the white matchup significantly as a control expert i would like to weigh in here brian mentioned predict triumph of saint catherine i like the idea by the way of you going back to geist of saint traft i was a huge fan of that for the split second that it existed but mishra's bobble i think is a card that would actually make a lot of sense because it triggers the triumph on turn two it works with predict it could actually be like a really good core card i know that obviously i'm in love with it inside of the epic storm but i think you could get a real nice bobble predict triumph deck yeah and we might see a return to main deck counterbalance as an actual Ooh. tool that is reasonably usable. Yep, Bryant just, we lost him. Uh, he puked all over his microphone. But yeah, I mean, that build space just exists. Like the the draw-go Tundra decks just play a land past the turn, hold up counterspell or two mana 5-5. Five, five. Like, I like that film that to my veins. But I don't think it flips the initiative matchup. All right, side note here, since you mentioned Geist of St. Traft, for the people who haven't played against that before, that is a spirit cleric. You can use Seasoned Dungeoneer to give that protection from creatures and just like consistently bash in with that for six or more damage. I'm going to do this in an upcoming video. Is it going to be worse than other things that I can be doing in the format? 100%, but it's such cool design space. I have to try. I will tell a personal story right now. Every There is a friend of mine from my high school and college days uh lives back in the area i grew up in and he reaches out once in a while usually when a big event's coming up to ask me a am i going to this and b what am i playing he followed this pattern for eternal weekend and i was like i'm playing my four color control hot band every color but black and this is my list and he was like cool thanks and then he registered geist of hate draft at eternal weekend he just took out one of my carefully selected cards in my metagame targeting control deck and jam geist of saint trapped in there and i was like what are you doing man and he's like the initiative can't stop that angel <laughs> i was like first of all they can and second of all what the fuck i have recently seen geist of saint trapped registered in a way that was deeply irresponsible i i will be responsible i will put it in a bant shell with noble hierarchs to accelerate it out faster i promise i actually love that big fan overall i'm in kind of this weird spot personally with legacy where i adore this format right now i am having so much fun playing magic it is a treat for me to record you know every day when i do and at the same time i'm also looking at the format health going like ah, maybe this isn't okay yeah and i am in i hate to bring it up again but i'm in the i feel the same way i did about oko where it's like this is a thing that exists it's pretty annoying the tools exist to fight it if you're willing to focus on fighting it and if you have a bottomless collection of legacy cards to just pivot decks i think we're in that oko range of a large section of generally viable decks are not viable because they can't hang with initiative the way that a large section of the the format could not hang against what oko was doing specifically yes but you have to take something from delver i don't think you can only take white plume i think that would actually be irresponsible wait 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 we we need Let's lock ourselves in here. We can't just be completely presenting of inf information. Smash or pass. Does White Plume Adventure need to be banned? I'm going to say yes. 
I'm going to say yes. Okay. I think all three of us are in agreement. Yeah. The, the, the format where Delver is insanely good and Initiative is insanely good is so much more fun than the format where only Delver is insanely good. True. Uh, let, let's, let's cool things off. Turn on the fire hose for a minute. I would like to see White Bloom Adventure and Expressive Iteration leave our beloved format. Here, here. All right. We've got about 14 minutes left in this episode, and we're going to talk about EDH a little bit. Not before I do an ad read, you're not. Oh, right. Well, the ad's also about EDH. Get after it. Are you interested in running a CEDH event or want your LGS to do so? Worried about the logistics of it? Fear not. Eminence Gaming's Command Tower software has you covered. You can create and manage tournaments easily, and its unique pairing system avoids repairing and makes for a smooth tournament experience. Visit eminence.events for details. Thanks for that. Shout out to Eminence and uh, the rest of the EDH in general community, who we are now going to talk about. Because the the inspiration for this part of the conversation is that MagicCon Philadelphia is next month. Philip and I are both attending, and neither of us have registered for a single tournament. We're bringing a backpack full of EDH decks. This is the the first time that I have done this since like my grad school days where I would go to tournaments specifically to trade because I didn't have like a legacy deck yet. This is the literal first time I've gone to an event with no intention of playing a sanctioned game of magic while I am there. Like if it happens, it happens. But this is wild. Yeah, I have never done this at all. Every magic tournament I've ever been to in my 25 year magic career at this point was as a player or a judge, somebody who was either getting paid to be there or had the uh, the possibility of getting paid to be there by winning. I am currently paying to arrive at this tournament, treating it like a vacation, and I'm going to hang out and play primarily EDH. I don't even think I'm going to bring 60 card decks I, unless I there's something not. popper on the schedule, uh, but I'm not playing. I'm not bringing Legacy or Modern or, or doing any of that. I have a case that currently has five EDH decks that I'm bringing. I'll bring one CEDH deck four casual decks of various power levels and i'm gonna hang out i'm gonna see some old friends i'm gonna try to meet some other content creators get some games in with them try to meet some fans i went to vegas and i was enrolled in the the modern beta qualifiers for the whole weekend and i didn't get to do any con stuff like they set up worlds there's like they set up like zendikar and they put the the weather light up in like actual size and uh, there's bars there's cd bars from the streets of new capenna that you can hang out in and all of these cool things uh, game nights did a live game uh, live entertainment edh stuff with all the magic celebrities panels artists i didn't see any of that i was there for four days and saw nothing which i would like to get that experience out of it as well but we're just going to spend 10 minutes now talking about why we like edh both c and regular versions what would inspire folks who uh, play magic as part of or all of their living do a legacy podcast to just show up and play casual magic for three days at at great expense let me say oh yeah for sure and like it's not just that we're going to this event to do this all three of us go out of our way to make guest appearances on various streams and YouTube channels playing everything from pre-con power level to competitive EDH. Given how busy we are and like how much in the pre-show we're always talking about how we're burning the candle at both ends and whatever and you know we're having trouble finding time to record, we go out of our way to do those because the format's really fun. Although EDH and CEDH are like totally different needs you might not like both of them they scratch different itches so brian as someone who recently took down a big cedh tournament what's the appeal there why why do you enjoy it so much i like cedh because i like edh the deck building restraints the playing with three other people instead of one i genuinely enjoy those aspects of the experience putting the c in front of it lets you hit that tournament itch as well you don't have to do any of the pre-game conversation of i'm doing this my deck wins in a certain way i have a couple counter spells etc you don't have to do any of that which is important to the the pure casual experience because you don't want anyone feeling bad at the end you just get to try to break it off at 11 and as a, a legacy and vintage player obviously i like doing that but you get to do it 
while also playing EDH. Yeah, and the the power threshold is so high that if you've never played a game of CEDH, but you are a legacy and vintage player, you will know the vast majority of the cards that are being played because they are from that high power, just like cultivated card pool. When I sit down and play a game of casual EDH with some people I've never played with before, I am probably reading 20 or 30 cards for the first time. When I play a game of CEDH, there's maybe two cards that I've never seen before or something like that, but I I know most of the pool. There's also the fact that cards are pushed out of legacy and vintage because something slightly better comes along and there was nothing necessarily wrong with that other card it's just that there's a better version of that that exists now and with cdh or edh sometimes you're like oh yeah i know this broken card but you're like oh i get to play this here too because i have so many deck slots for example and a second version of this could be fine yeah and because you don't get four copies you get to play the the fourth best version of the effect and the third and the second and you get to go deep on on the card pool and it's just a lot of fun and the the edh ban list is smaller than the legacy ban list there are fewer cards banned in that format than in legacy and many of them are cards like primeval titan and sway of the stars so it's not I and mean, there's the same core of power but you could play mishra's workshop you can play bazaar baghdad you get mystical tutor demonic tutor all that kind of stuff is large and in charge in that format if you want to if you like broken magic and want a multiplayer social experience, that's a great way to go. Going back to the point about getting to play the second, third, fourth, etc. I am a tuner. I'm not really a brewer, I would say. Like I'm someone that finds a strategy I really like and then I tune it to be optimized. And that's sort of what I did with CDH Rograx Silas. And over the last couple of months, I've been stirring over the 100th card. Obviously, I have my two commanders and then the 97, but I've just been unhappy with this last card. I've tried a number of things there. I want it to be a counter spell. I know that much. So I've played Offer You Can't Refuse, Dispel, Spell Pierce, Miscast, a whole bunch of things. And I sort of asked myself a question the other day, which is, is your worst one mana counter spell better than the best two mana counter spell? And I asked a circle of friends and they were just like, I don't know. I don't like two mana counter spells. I don't think they're playable. So I went to Twitter and Twitter 58%, I think was the final score. So that two mana counter spells are playable if they are mana drain or delay, which I thought was really interesting considering most of the people I surround myself with were just like, don't ever play two mana counter spells. And just seeing 58% or whatever that number was be like, nah, it's fine. You can get away with one or two was sort of eye-opening for me because I thought like maybe I was just being stupid, but there's a chance that there's something there. And taking that step back, I think, helped me. I think one of the things that I really like about CEDH is it's not nearly as solved as a format like, say, Legacy or Vintage might be. Because of the social dynamic and the four-player aspects of the format, Like it is much harder to draw real conclusions of like from your data so a lot of times like you get to build like your gut feeling of what is right and you get to extrapolate from the limited data that you can collect because like bryant can probably play a league of tes in the time it takes to play one or two games of cedh uh, depending on you know how many people are on rog silas in that particular pod like i i have been playing winota which is sort of a stacks creature deck that has a really big winota swing finish and i put a lot of time into tuning that deck and i'm not sure if the changes that i made were right they feel good to me i like the direction that i'm taking the deck unless you're really a format specialist that's really your thing that's all you're digging into like i I think there's so much room for exploration and as more high prize tournaments start appearing for the format and the format catches on more and more I'm looking forward to the pool of people working with the format and tuning decks growing. Yeah, it's an exciting time. One of the things that a lot of casual players do is they attach their personality to their deck and they're like, this is an extension of me. I want to put some of my own creativity into this deck, that sort of thing. You do see less of that in CDH, but there's sometimes where like Phil's Winota, for example, 97 of the cards will be pretty deterministic. And then there's two cards that are sort of flex spots and people will 
put cards in there that are stylistic choices or cards they really like. But when it comes down to it, those two cards ultimately don't matter that much. You will probably never lose a game because of those two specific cards as long as they're reasonable. Because the rest of the deck and what it does is so powerful that you're not really going to be punished. So people can get away with more of that if that's what you're interested in. And it's not supposed to be a knock. It's just like you can get away with more fun stuff sometimes. Speaking of fun stuff, we've got about two minutes left on this episode. Let's talk about regular EDH, non-C version. I know, Phil, you've been into this. Brian, I don't know if you've taken the plunge into the full casual mode yet, but uh, I have a bunch of different decks. I build to sort of a medium power level, like no combo kills, but optimized powerful synergy. I like it because it's the opposite of what I do with all my other magic time. I get to play magic, hang out with my friends, do some cool things involving the magic game engine, but it's not like I got to make this content. I got to win this game. I got to top eight this tournament. I got to optimize like what Bryant was just talking about with put some personal flair in a deck probably is not going to lose you a game. I want to flare out my deck until it does lose me a game, but I'm happy with every card. It just sparks joy. Just Marie Kondo that shit. Every draw stuff. I'm like, man, I love this card. And that's just such a detachment from magic while staying in the magic space or at least from magic as i generally experience it while still playing magic and it's a great way to take a break while still you know doing the thing that we all love casual edh to me is like the purest expression of magic deck building because like you're going to a lot of times be playing against like non-tournament optimized decks like people are there to try to do a thing of of one degree or another and you get to make a lot of interesting and questionable card choices that are a lot of fun. And every time you play a game and someone's like, that card was terrible. I loved it and it absolutely destroyed me. You made that thing work. And you really get to play a lot of cards from throughout Magic's history in a way that is fun for you and hopefully for other people. It's the closest thing that I've gotten since like becoming a competitive Magic player to recapturing just like those Friday nights of sitting around a kitchen table with my friends and like just playing casual magic with a bunch of the cards that we owned. Amen to that. So I think on that note, we're probably going to be wrapping up the episode here. I know many of you are, you know, probably not sold on EDH, but I, I really encourage you to to give it a try. If you have a friend with a couple of pre-cons and you haven't played a game in a few years, fire, fire one off. Have, have a drink, have some pizza with some friends, play, play some casual EDH and see if it's for you because I thought it wasn't for me and now I'm going out of my way to fly to Philly to just have a weekend of sitting around and slinging spells in a 100-card format. Yep, and if you're coming to Philly, come find me and Phil. We'll be around looking for games. Uh, this is, that's why we're there. Come say hi. 